0: The subject of this evening's talk is Striving in Meditation. Yesterday evening, our community at, small community at Sharpham House, received a telephone call from a friend of ours, uh, a monk in the, uh, ordained in the Mahayana tradition, a man named Roger Wheeler, who rang to let our community know that he had decided to drop out of a three-month meditation course. And he had been invited by us, by the community, to come to spend some time with us in in England. An invitation made him quite some time ago. And he gave, as a primary reason for dropping out, that there was, he felt, though he benefited quite considerably from the meditation practice, that he felt that the emphasis on striving was um, too strong. And this area, in fact, uh, issue of striving does tend to come up with... Quite some frequency in spirituality in, and particularly in meditative life, the meditative experience. And to some extent, one has to consider these things as something of a, a, a from a social standpoint, peculiarly enough um, in living in the east and particularly in Southeast Asia. These countries are Buddhist countries. They are countries with a long history and background, of course, of Buddhist culture, Buddhist religion, Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist ideas. And there is a, in the, as, in, and as in any religious culture, there's a very strong religious belief, a tremendous faith a faith which has, one might say, an unquestioning obedience and an unquestioning conformity to that faith. Very deeply ingrained and, of course, all the long conditioning and hereditary factors within that as it goes from one generation to another. And that kind of faith has, for many of the people there who refer to themselves as being Buddhist it has, um, or has, as an effect, a certain feeling of being comfortable within the religion. And little of that original, real, original spirit of questioning. And when one believes so wholeheartedly in, in something, it doesn't leave a great space in the mind for inquiry and the Buddha Dharma is one view towards life which encourages inquiry, and inquiry at any level. And what what has occurred in the East, I mention this because this is very much related to this whole area of striving, that what has occurred in the East, speaking in a general way, is that the teachers, the meditation teachers, I found it very, very necessary to encourage men and women there to practice and to practice hard, to stimulate within themselves a passion and enthusiasm for, for sincere and intensive meditation and to sustain it. And this is a, rea- a reasonably recent phenomenon. If one has, um, some of us had a reasonably long association with the, with the East and Buddhism, up until about 25 years ago or so, sustained meditation practice at the group level was rare to the point of almost unknown. And what was more the norm was that uh, men and women, and mostly uh, um, men of course, monks, had the opportunity to go into isolation, to go into personal retreat, either within the monastic system or in the cave or jungle, and meditate. But there wasn't an emphasis within those uh, traditions of sustained group meditation. This occurred very much inspired by one Burmese teacher named Mahasi Sayador, who died a couple of years ago. He has passed on his tradition, the transmission to a teacher who is at present time in Barry Massachusetts conducting his first 3-month retreat for westerners in the west. And um, one of the things which has occurred to m- uh, occurred to me and something which I have come to see over the years having been exposed east and west is that there's a real necessity in the east to encourage monks, nuns and lay people to strive in meditation. That it requires an ong- uh, an effort. It requires sustained practice. It re- it requires uh, a s- a certain firmness and discipline to break through the comfort and the familiarity with all that is known as Buddhism. And monks who I have observed and uh, nuns who practice hard and fiercely and, su- and sustain it uh, day and night, tend to break through some of these patterns of comfortableness to the point that it's an indulgence, that it's a, 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 an easy, relaxed way of life, but doesn't have that spirit of really looking at what's happening right now. So, th- so the message of striving, effort, Sustained practice, real continuity is a very essential and necessary f, um, message because of a certain comfort to the point of apathy which is prevalent in Buddhism in Asia. And, and I'm saying that, and I would say except for certain exceptions, but that is unfortunately the state of the in a general way, the state of the religion. And this message of striving and effort is one too which many Westerners and I and some of you uh, here who have been to the East have heard. But it's a message which we already know. It's a message which has been directed to us right from our childhood about the importance of striving and being successful and that whole syndrome. And it's a message which some of us have felt we've had to pay a certain psychological price for so far as our well-being goes, our state of contentment goes, our peace of mind goes, our our whole balance of being. So, in other words, that's why I would say here's a social... F- Consideration our social upbringing and background, d- this in the west, so we say juxtaposed to that which is in the east, and so what, hap- what tends to happen and is, uh, and has happened before and is happening now and it will happen again in the future that when some of the Asian teachers come to the west emphasize something very very strongly with almost in some cases, not with this case, in, uh, uh, as I understand, with the teacher in uh, the centre in Barrie, but some cases, mm. a kind of militaristic fervour about structure, form, timetable, rigidity, and so forth, it's something which we're working to be free from, rather than to incorporate. And here's the difference. From, for people who are apathetic, indifferent, lazy, um, low energy, uh, withdrawn, in that kind of um, state of mind, in this case in the East through comfort, psychological comfort with the teachings, um, then the message is fine but within our own context it it can actually work the other way. And so a fair degree of practice and a fair degree of emphasis which we as Western Dharma teachers put out, because we put it out to ourselves, is watch your striving. Be aware of striving, being, be aware of what that is doing to oneself at the physical, mental level. And I notice, and we had, didn't we, the other day some discussion about this, that within certain situations, one can look at oneself and say, I don't need to hear this message right now, this message of striving, striving, striving. It, 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 it's it's, it's uh, in conflict, shall we say, with an intuition that it only creates more pressure, pressure creates more tension, tension um, doesn't produce uh, liberating insight. And to actually go against that message, is sometimes one of the real expressions of insight. It's the expression of taking responsibility for oneself and one's existence, even though the voices of authority may be encouraging us, out of loving-kindness, out of their their understanding and the cultural influence behind it, to do something else, to work in a different way. And this, is, this, is, this seems to be always very, very important. You may have a message from outside of yourself, do this, be this, working this way, follow this route, go this way, and inside of oneself one says, but it doesn't feel right, it doesn't sit right, it, it doesn't c- connect right. And somewhere or other, this connecting with oneself, <coughs> and the deeper we are in touch with ourselves. <coughs> The more easily we can connect, also gives us a confidence to make our own decisions about these things. so in other words, there's no understanding, there's no uniform message which can say right, striving is the key to understanding and, and, and yet it's, and yet it's switching the other way and saying no striving is of no use is al- also an unskillful message because some people need to get their act together, need to get their energy going, need to have a sense of, like we were speaking the other evening, a sense of goal and direction, a sense of going somewhere and find, finding ways and means to make it happen. But as I say, generally speaking, in uh, my experience, one has to tread very carefully with the the message of striving. And another kind of message which goes with it in the meditation field is the message of striving with concentration. And what tends to um, happen is that in the field of meditation, Concentration gets confused with awareness, it gets confused with meditation, it gets confused with observation, with with seeing clearly. And concentration is another particular factor which goes very much with this striving. And quite often one sees and hears again and again, and this is particular in the tradition of... Uh, of the, 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 the Southern School, or Theravada, that one sees and hears that these two concepts, striving and concentration, often are referred to almost with the same breath. And then what, what, what part of the emphasis has come is that concentration gets high, rather highlighted rather than an awareness of what is happening. Let me me give you an example. One of the teachers that I am spent, uh, in fact my primary uh, meditation teacher, Ajahn Damodaro. he would not teach what is called in the old scriptural language, Anapanasati. That means the mindfulness of the in and out breath. He would not teach that way. And the reason that he would not teach it was because in being, as the Buddha instructs, being in touch with the whole breathing in and the whole breathing out, it produces too much calmness. And he felt the monks were so relaxed already, (laughs) why (laughs) induce more of this? (laughs) And he would have nothing to do with it. And his method, to give you uh, the, 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 the contrast, was to sit and the initial instruction was to move the hand through the air, up and down, moment to moment, hour upon hour, so that the mind didn't get an opportunity to, be, to take a few sniffs and <laughs> space out. And when the mind got lazy, the hand would start flopping. And you, could s- and you could see by this movement at a very slow, mindful level, whether the monk or the nun was right there at the moment to moment or whether his or her mind was somewhere else, just by that movement. And when one had done that long enough and the, and the whole hand was burning with sensations <laughs> and the whole arm was alive, it would, he would, ele- the, as that began to expand, that would move into the body, and then he would direct the attention, say, to the contact of the backside with the, with the ground, and, and the, and the point there, the strongest point of sensation, and be directly in touch with that at the moment-to-moment level, experiencing the whole vibrational life of the body, right through from one point, and the impact that had throughout the whole system. So a practice which wasn't inducing a relaxed comfortableness but one which was inducing in or encouraging a real awareness. But that's because some of the preliminaries, such as a s- certain degree of calmness and uh, uh, relaxation, and any of you who have been to Thailand, you know, as you may have observed, Thai bhikkhus are incredibly laid back. So, <laughs> I won't say any more. <laughs> And so something which was a little bit more on the effort, a little bit more observation, a little bit more direct, was appropriate. But we come into a different culture where we, can't, we, where we often don't find ourselves very laid back and we find ourselves getting quite uptight, in fact, about s- small little things in life where... where um, uh, Re- re- relaxation is where you take a pill, or you watch TV, or what- whatever, and in coming to a genuine relaxation of, relaxation of being, then the meditative approach which is suitable for that, becomes important. Such as, among many ways and means, in breathing and out breathing. So is this, uh, I feel, the recognition <coughs> <coughs> of the practice and the application, and seeing, as I mentioned, I'm going to go a little bit more into this. this, these factors here of striving with concentration. Because the two tend to go together. And in looking at these, looking at these two together, like with many, th- many, uh, many qualities of mind, even those, you know, which are are quite difficult, or quite unsatisfactory, somewhere can have a value. And obviously, the same thing which can have a value can also be a hindrance. Striving can be helpful, but it also can be a hindrance. But concentration can be. And what we, say, engage in, in meditation as we know, is the, re- the, the regularity and hopefully great frequency of bringing our attention back to what we are doing. Now when one puts up with a striving factor, striving is the unconscious or conscious I must stay right on my object, with a certain kind of pressure there, a certain kind of Strong desire to be just on that object and nowhere else. That kind of constant concentration, coupled with this striving, makes it rather exclusive. It makes the practice rather narrow and restricted. There's a certain restriction of one's energy which takes place, a certain tightening which takes place, and a certain kind of closing down of oneself in order to keep that concentration. And what tends to happen, this is on a longer term basis, and sometimes on a shorter term basis, that the very effort to keep that power of concentration touches unknowingly the place of fear. The fear, the primary fear which is likely to come up is the fear of losing it. And that's a very important fear that one has to be to face and deal with in life. So there's striving, there's concentration, very helpful and very useful and and necessary for some people. And for another person, the striving with the concentration is producing a pressure in the mind and any pressure must bring fear. There must be fear where there's pressure, somewhere. We may not experience this fear as a psychological sensation or as a physical sensation in our body, but the fear, my goodness me, is in there somewhere. And so what happens is, one is working within the meditation, one is doing, maybe as all the instructions are, doing what's absolutely right and appropriate according to the method but the actual effect, inwardly speaking, is that one is so keen and desirous of maintaining one's concentration one's fear is that its dissipation is such that one, w- that it, one will lose it and one will always lose concentration and with it one's practice will fall apart. <coughs> And many of us have gone through this syndrome of having it and losing it. Feeling that we're getting somewhere when we've got it, that is the striving and the support of concentration, and feeling that we're not getting anywhere when it's collapsed. And it doesn't take much to collapse (coughs) it. Because the fear makes one so vulnerable. It can just be a, a spark, a noise clap. And one gets irritated, <laughs> and then one's kind of rushing around in one's mind, got a <laughs> or whatever. It doesn't take much, because the, ho- the effort to hold it is so hard, it makes one so vulnerable. So something outside of oneself, or something inside of oneself, like the energy getting low. Energy begins to go down. Striving begins to go down. The effort to keep begins to go down. And as all that goes down, concentration gets less. And, le- and it's like air going out of a balloon. And as I say, it's not unusual for the meditator, born of much since, born of a mind of real sincerity. I mean, there's no question about the sincerity of anybody who's worked hard in their concentration and worked hard with. With striving, I mean, the many qualities of mind at work work there, but, as the Buddha would often say, "But is there skillful means? Is there upaya? Is this means skillful according to the, the, the psychology of the individual, the nama, the psychology of the individual? in this working in, in towards a, a greater understanding of oneself too, that the difficulty is that where, this con- where there's too much of concentration, there that one is striving hard, working hard with one's practice, the peculiar thing is that the c- concentration power, as that deal develops, it can have a certain kind of momentum. And people doing short and, and more frequently long-term practice develop a certain power of mind which enables a person to remain reasonably well concentrated over a period of time. And that power to sustain that through gives one the sense and the feeling, quite, <coughs> quite rightly, of course, that the mind is very, very steady, but that... St- the steadiness of the mind is supported by the energy and concentration power. And what can happen in the course of that is that as that concentration power has a staying um, factor to it, the mind's I wouldn't say mechanism, I don't like that word so much, but the mind's relaxation, the, 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 the mind's capacity to change, the movement of the mind is such that it can produce within the individual quite unusual and rare experiences. So in other words, there's the power of concentration there, it gets developed, mind isn't creating so many hindrances, it's keeping it there, through walking, through sitting, through standing, through what is often recommended 20 hours a day of nothing but being concentrated, that through that, experiences must occur. Sometimes they are experiences of light, of colour, of flashes, experiences of suddenly seeing things in a different way, experiences showing some insight, experiences showing some new dimensions... All of that can emerge out of that. And so when that does occur for the individual, the person feels, wow, this is meditation. (laughs) This is what it's about, because one is getting an inkling of something different from the normal, everyday mind. And so a person may feel, now I know what meditation is. But what the person is saying is really, now I know what concentration power can do what it can do and it can, the mind is a, as somebody commented today in a group, mind is very powerful it, it, and has a great capacity to act in a powerful way but that may not be what the heart of spirituality is all about it's a certain condition of mind brought about by a certain environment generally concentrated silent, with almost minimal physical activity. And if you've ever been in, a, in such an in, uh, environment, and some of us have had the opportunity and the privilege to be so, the characteristic of that environment is practically nothing is going on. You in, know, in that, that to go from your walking place back to your sitting takes you the period walk in. but the time you get from here to to the place where you go to walk it's time to walk back. Unlike us where we just get up, cart our body outside, do half hour, 40 minutes of walking and walk back. I'm, in other words, the degree of slowing down within the practice is so phenomenal, some might say so, se- so severe that that produces a certain kind of mind. But the mind is related to the environment, it's related to the conditions, and r- being removed completely from those conditions, it may mean concentration was there, striving was there, earnest was there, earnestness was there, energy was there... <laughs> <and> <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing there? Um, <laughs> Earlessness was was there, but wisdom may not flower, understanding may not come, experiences may come, but it may not bring out of the individual the emergence in life of an understanding which is, to some degree, independent of the environment. So there is this constant, and and of course a major question and and theme, and we we, we just just, um, touched on this, there's this constant juxtaposing, not only from east to west, but the one between living and uh, you and I abiding here together within this situation and in an everyday life situation, and because we're not monks and nuns, because we're (coughs) people living in this world without labels, monks, nuns, and lay people, just people living in this world, it it means that it's working to find the balance. If it's just, if we, if in that we (coughs) make it (coughs) so much like everyday life, what's the point of coming here? we might as well just have a, a seven-day party. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if one is worth... <laughs> I should have said that. <laughs> but if it is one of working to find and come to an awareness in, in life, yes, you and I will experience, all of us, if we meditate a certain development of concentration. And one doesn't want to undermine that in any way. That concentration will, as we... Leave here that will fade away um, because it, concentration is partly produced by the environment or supported by it. But our practice is, uh, is going as always a step further than that. And that step further is towards self-knowledge, is towards insight, is towards understanding of our mental processes, is seeing our relationship to life, is coming to live with a wisdom which is liberating which is actually freeing. So in looking at any sense of path, not so much progress now, like I spoke the other night, but in any sense of path, it means that our practice (coughs) and the quality of our practice is that it lends itself towards more clarity and understanding, which to some extent is Definitely going beyond just being concentrated. And in that actual um, pros- process of development, certainly many of us has, have found this, and this is why the message goes out with f- great frequency <coughs> amongst meditation teachers of all major traditions is that a certain encouragement is given to all of us to develop good posture, to slow down, to be mindful, to give equal care and attention to all that we do, and to explore or to see for ourselves what that means. In that connection of exploration and seeing seeing for ourselves what that means, that hopefully, in that cl- more clarity that <coughs> comes, it gives us what the heart of the spiritual life is all about, it gives us a sense of greater inner freedom. That, as far as the meditation goes and striving goes, is that inner freedom inside gives us the awareness and the c- ability to be free, to be aware of when do we need to strive more, when do we need to apply more effort, when do we need to focus our mind more and put more into it, and when do we need just to be. To be conscious, to have a sense of our being, to be really aware of what is happening, to doing everything with care and precision, without forcing it. And to really be clear inside of ourselves what the difference is between striving and forcing and trying to maintain something and just sitting, just being aware, just watching what's happening and learning from what we are watching. Now, in, in that, the peculiarity of this is, when there is less effort, concentration and... No, sorry, w- let me say. When there is more of the effort, the concentration and the striving factor, there does seem to be, within oneself, which one has adopted from another, since you and I have not thought of these practices and techniques by ourselves, they're not something we developed, it's something which has come from a long-standing tradition over generations and generations of meditation teachers it's not an original package by me or by any other teacher on this planet that in this long generation of teachers, of this uh, sustained and some of us consider very beautiful unfoldment about life that when there is concentration, effort and striving, a single practice can seem regimentated, as I mentioned before, restricted, confining, and hard. It's a characteristic. It, it feels like hard. It feels like hard work with moment periods of time when one feels very comfortable with it. But generally, the senses of intensive meditation it feels like hard work to keep going with periods in which one feels very comfortable with that. The same, when the mind is, c- and heart, heart-mind has come to a, a, an awareness which those elements of striving and concentration are not so strong, the same practice, doing exactly the same thing, the same number of times a day, if you will, doesn't have a quality to it of feeling like one is pushing oneself, one is hard on oneself. Or it's a hard thing to do. And one of the characteristics of that, since um, walking meditation is one which the Buddha uh, had enormous regard for, spoke about frequently, is that in the walking meditation, walking very slowly and mindfully, when it requires effort and striving and all those other elements, it seems limiting, a hard thing to do. But when the mind is very much in tune with walking, no matter how slow it is, it's one of the softest expressions of humanity. The quality sense to it, it, it's one of the most caring forms of movement that one can make in one's life. Same thing, same activity, but the relationship it, it is totally different and to walk softly and totally slowly in, uh, on this earth is one of the most gentle and uh, caring expressions of a sensitive human being so and that that qualitative difference is affected by the kind of mind which we bring to our practice. Nothing else. So it's not the actual activity itself of walking so slowly and consciously that it's just a matter of two or three inches at one, the toes proceed in front of the other toes. It's what's the background to that inside us in our heart-mind? That's the heart, that's the, that, that, that's, that's what counts. (coughs) So this, these, these factors of what are within ourselves and watching what is happening within ourselves enables, what I would say, an organic kind of development to take place rather than one of striving which has, by necessity and sometimes very valuable, I don't want to undermine striving. here, has within it a certain ego element of wanting to get somewhere, and the Buddha has, and in practice. And when we don't need the Buddha to confirm this, God. <laughs> but rather, our practice can help to see that that some that in some areas the application of I am going to make an effort to whatever, is an, an appropriate and intelligent response to a situation. But when one is in a harmonious flow, adding something like I am going to strive harder, because I am relaxed, because I'm clear, because the attention is moment to moment, brings into it an intrusion into one's being which upsets that rhythm. And there is a tendency within meditators, as the meditation practice develops and deepens, and there's a kind of calmness of abiding and an attentiveness within the totality of one's day, that one says, I'm going to bring something else into it. Push harder. And it can upset that rhythm. So, in other words, ego with effort striving can be appropriate, and sometimes it's stirring up something which... Is going to develop organically. And here one's own inner awareness and to use that word we were using before, that discrimination, that discernment of mind, is really to enable us to see more clearly what's right, what's meaning what's what's skillful means for where we are at this present time. And in now in that Development and and, and unfoldment with concentration, with striving, with effort, with all of that energy, it tends to revolve around the method and technique as well as the atmosphere to support it. One go places oneself again, useful and appropriate, within a certain kind of structure to keep the concentration. Whether it's in the slow walking, whether it's in the sitting and the method and the technique, that, f- that structure and f- <coughs> um, te- method and technique are part and parcel of that approach. As energy flows more freely, as the meditation deepens itself, one sees that all of those things begin to drop off. They begin to fade. Even the method and the technique, which was such a, a, a wonderful and valuable support, a, <coughs> a systematic approach to meditation, um, with that concentration, is so supportive that as the inner, should we say, evolution or process begins to develop, that begins to drop off. And so it comes down more to a kind of bare form, a bare form of being aware, secondary is posture. And one's so much in touch with oneself that one knows and one is clear within oneself that the totality of the day is a clear day. S- a, 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 what shall we say, A psychological climate and a heart climate of, of a clearness through the day in which method and technique are not so important, and yet one isn't deceiving oneself. One isn't falling into this comfortableness, into, into, <laughs> the curse one might say of what has happened to contemporary Buddhism in the East. So, again, with with our looking at life and our resp- and our meditative uh, life, especially here, it's looking to see what's what's happening in ourselves, to see what needs to be applied, exploring what the skillful means are, and in that developing to a much more direct and clear understanding. As any kind of process, and particularly this meditative process, must bring itself towards understanding, towards wisdom, towards clarity. If it's valid, it must go that direction. And if it doesn't take one in that direction, if it falls short, if it ends up as just concentration power as an example of falling falling short, then one's means are restricted, one's mind is restricted and the concentration is blocking. So there's a a whole, whole, shall we say, field of the meditative inquiry towards wisdom and understanding and an awareness in life which brings out of one a clarity and that clarity brings its own love, its own respect, its own sensitivity, its own true communion with life. The meditation is towards leading us in that direction and to that discovery as a here and now reality. May all beings see into the character of striving. (coughs) May all beings see into the meditative process. May all beings live with understanding.